0: I had not heard anyone ever call coding elegant so when you said an elegant solution I was like that's beautiful yeah I we love that (laughs) right I'm Molly O'Connor and I'm Sarah Connell Sanders and you're listening to pop It. this is the podcast for popping questions popping bottles and pop culture I I was hoping you could start by just telling us a little bit about your background. We typically on this podcast talk to women who are in male-dominated fields. And when I heard you talking about finance, I was like, she would be great.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: What? I was joking to Sarah earlier. I was like, I
2: don't understand finance. So (laughs) this is perfect. (laughs) Like I get it on a micro level. (laughs) So I'm like for myself. But this is going to be great.
1: Yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope you still feel that way afterward, <laughs> because <laughs> because I wouldn't have necessarily described myself as this uh, finance mm-hmm. maven, but uh, but I've you know had a long career, and and it seems like all of the areas of endeavor are um, were male dominated. So. So with that, I um, I shared a little bit uh, in our fintech boot camp that I started my career as a software engineer. I like that. I like that it rhymes, but it's also true. Um, and uh, started coding. Um, went to school for business and you know information systems and quantitative methods, and so was doing software development, and I really loved that. Um, But I found that what I really liked even more than just coding and elegant solutions of coding was to work and understand a business problem and take that problem and translate that into requirements and design and then a software solution. So... and, and in fact, that's why I ended up in grad school, because I knew that I wanted to do that kind of leadership right from the very beginning. My managers, all men were like, you know, you just got here. You're really young. Um, no. And so I went to grad school as a way to jumpstart the career and move uh, up the ranks really quickly. But I spent, um, you know, kind of 10 years in software Um, development, manufacturing, um, computers. And then I went into consulting and started working with companies that were where I did exactly that, understanding their problems and rapidly developing applications, leading teams that did that. I I did that for another 10 years in various companies, a lot of startups. Um, And then ultimately um, acknowledged my call to pastoral ministry. I went to seminary, and uh, was ordained a member of the clergy. I served as a local church pastor, and you know the the ministry is absolutely male dominated. Um, but my business background made it really very uh, helpful um, as as a local church pastor, because you're effectively the CEO of a corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, especially in Massachusetts, because we are corporations. So uh, I did that. I I led my denomination for a number of years and leading our our ministers council, which is like 10,000 clergy across the uh, country. And then I went to Yale Divinity School where they wanted to create a lifelong learning organization. And I had both the business and the pastoral ministry experience to do that. Um, I later went to a faith-based nonprofit in Boston, um, and built that rebuilt their company, their brand, and uh, put them on a different path. And then came to WPI, where now I'm the dean of the business school. So I'm bringing all of these things together. So that's kind of my path.
2: That is fantastic. Um, I'm trying to. I'm in my head. I'm like, she's not old enough to even have done all these things.
1: No, <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. Um,
2: I'm going back. So I teach um, STEM and we're actually doing like, you know, very basic coding right now. We use scratch. Can you and I'm so fascinated by when you were talking about applying those solutions, like, you know, coding solutions to those kind of problems. Can you give us an example of like like a company having an issue that you would come in and consult and how like what the problem could be and then like how you would then solve it using that kind of like computational thinking or that type of kind of systems thinking?
1: Um, let's see, in my early days, right? And so this this is gonna seem like the silliest conversation in the world because, you know, now we take it for granted. But um, early, in the earlier days of um, computing, you know, either mainframe or mid-range computing, the computers were very large and they would basically come, you know, just kind of out of the box and they didn't run, they didn't do anything. Um, then you had to have a technician that came that installed everything and configured everything. And, um, and then once that was all done, you could use this computer. Well now we take them out of the box and you don't even have to install the operating system, right? It's, it's already there. You press, you know, the button and it comes up and voila. We were actually understanding what the configuration was, um, what, the customer asked for in their computer. What kind of memory, um, what kind of RAM speed, what, what kind of um, hard drive, um, all of the different modules that sat on the motherboard or on the backplane, And for every module, you needed to one, understand the configuration, and then two, make sure that it actually worked. So we were downloading diagnostics based on the configuration, but you didn't wanna lose time in manufacturing. You wanted to be able to have all of this happen as the product was going through the manufacturing line. So I was developing systems that would, as we called it back then, sniff the backplane, understand all of the modules on the, the circuitry, download the right diagnostics, test them, Understand how the testing went, and if they passed, then you would move the computer to where it could be packed and shipped to the customer. And if it didn't, you'd move it to another line. And all of that needed to be automated. And we were doing this for millions of of PCs a year when when that industry first started taking off. So, like a detection, almost like a de- detective software
2: in a way. Yeah, cool.
1: Yeah how far we've come. I know. I know. And that still happens, but now it's, it's normative, right? Sure. Yeah. So I feel like I was kind of one of those pioneers back in the day. Absolutely.
0: One thing you said during that FinTech boot camp that really stuck with me was that in business school, you were taught business and finances about finding a return for your investor. And now in 2022, you're not looking for returns necessarily in a financial sense so much as returning the good. Um, And I was wondering if you could explain that in a little more depth. How are you returning the good to the central mass community through your work at WPI? How are WPI's business students returning the good?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you still have to reward investors, right? Somebody is providing the capital to make it possible for your business to function. But that is not the only stakeholder. I mean, you still need to be a good citizen, you know, in in your community. You can't pollute the environment. You can't exploit your workers. You can't um, destroy, um, you know, Trees and and pollute streams. And, you know, there there are so many more constituents. Right. And that you need to be mindful of. And that's what we're thinking about and talking about with our students to help them understand that it's a bigger canvas. And so now one of the things that we're doing, there are so many areas where we're actually making that happen for our students and with our students, with the technology and with our business learning. So so I actually pulled some things together so that I could speak to it, um, you know, and not keep us here all day. So one of the things um, in our operations and industrial engineering team, we are actually are using analytics for refugee resettlement. So these are mathematical algorithms that are helping Um, Governments, cities, uh, municipalities determine how best to resettle refugees that come to the United States because we know that if people are able to resettle in areas where there are supports, where there's community, they can be much more productive, much more quickly and so, actually, using software to be able to make those kinds of calculations um, is one example of that. And we're actually working with um, there's there's a, a, a an application that we have that's called Annie um, Annie Moore, um, which was named after the first recorded immigrant entering the U.S. in New York. Ellis Island in the late 1880s. And so it's taking machine learning and optimization to generate data-driven optimization recommendations for refugee replacement. So that's really huge. We've been doing that um, since uh, 2018. Then another area that we're doing with uh, is called the Small Business Digitization Services Program which was really a lot of fun. We launched this in 2020 in the Worcester County um, for those mom and pop businesses, um, women owned businesses, um, businesses run by um, um, underrepresented um, individuals where they needed to pivot in COVID to have an online presence when they might've been just in person, right? And so we started building websites and software applications for free for these customers. And we've had now more than a hundred students go through this um, doing projects for about 70 plus firms um, all over Greater Worcester. And uh, the majority of the firms that we've been working with, like I said, are women-owned or uh, from underrepresented populations. We also have a business development lab, which we launched in January, which is this way of helping emerging entrepreneurs take that idea and actually put a robust value proposition and canvas around it, so that they can mature those ideas into business plans, preparing them for launch. And we're doing that for students and faculty, which you would expect, but also in the community where entrepreneurs can come to There's no cost, and they're working with our entrepreneurs and residents to help them um, come together and and be able to bring their ideas to fruition. And then, um, applicable to this conversation, we've been in conversations with um, partners across the city for the Worcester FinTech Lab for Social Good. And this is a collaboration between WPI and Worcester State and WorkLab and the city of Worcester and other partners to actually help us take those technological advances, advancements and research and turn that into solutions in the fintech space to help underrepresented and minoritized communities leverage those advances for greater economic recovery. Mm So yeah. really what it is is just helping I know we, we try to keep busy right but helping <laughs> helping people be able to leverage what might just seem far away or abstract and and make a difference in their real life and then for students to help them see the tangible benefit of doing good and doing well together
2: um we're ta- so talking about, being able to like make fintech something that is available or accessible to those types of communities, entrepreneurs, that type of stuff. I, one obstacle I think is that a lot of people aren't aware necessarily what fintech is or what it means. Could you just like explain a little bit about like, what is fintech? Yeah, when <laughs> I
0: walked into the fintech boot camp, I was like, "All right, it must be like Venmo and Bitcoin, right?" Because I think, right, absolutely, and it is, know. but it's but, so
1: much more. Sure, yeah. Well, you know, and that's the 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 interesting thing about it. It's there's not a generally accepted definition for fintech. Yeah, I mean, you know, like Wharton Fintech Club several years ago called it an economic industry composed of companies that use technology to make financial systems more efficient. But really, it's anything that's integrating technology and financial services and bringing that those advances and advancements to consumers and and it's become something that we have become much more aware of since the pandemic because you think about it I mean during the pandemic your your bank was closed the stores were closed or if they were open they nobody really wanted to deal with cash because nobody wanted to touch you you know all of these things and and so now i mean uh, it's become commonplace to use Venmo, to use Cash App, to um, to yeah. have your, your banking, online banking. Uh, checks have like gone the way of the dinosaur almost, um, you know, but it's made it really tangible to everyday people. Mm-hmm. And we've all recognized that we need to be able to be much more fluent with different ways of doing currency and transacting financial exchanges. And all of that is fintech.
0: When I think about the business students from my own undergraduate experience, you know, they all wanted to be Gordon Gecko, right? <laughs> but one of your colleagues said to me, look, finance is not the evil empire anymore. Like the hot thing is socially conscious investing. Mm-hmm. And that blew me away. I was surprised, but I guess I shouldn't be. Molly and I are both teachers and Gen Z, they have such a beautiful way about them. They care so much about this planet. But I was wondering if you could just give us Um, an overview of that shift, like when did finance go from being about your own personal wealth to
1: saving the world? (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's been happening more and more um, over the last several decades, right? I mean, I mentioned that when I was in school back in the dark ages, it was all about an investor wealth. Right. And and even, you know, we talk about the WPI plan, which was 50 years ago, our kind of innovative shift to project based learning. The WPI plan didn't even include business because the mentality was business, finance, evil empire. We don't want anything to do with that. Um, but you really recognize this over the last couple of decades where it's become so mainstream and, and I saw it as a local church pastor, right? Because as a pastor, um, we had investments, we had an endowment as a church, and we wanted to invest our endowment responsibly. And so we would talk about not investing in the SIN companies, S-I-N companies, right? So no tobacco, no alcohol, no weapons or firearms. All the yeah. yeah, right? And we would... And, and we would sit down with our portfolio managers every quarter to review our portfolio to make sure that nothing had crept in, you know, that, that we didn't want to have as a church. And this is, you know, this is the... The two thousands, the two, the the twenty tens, you know, um, and so if the church is already doing that, that meant that everybody else is already caught on board because church is like the last bastion of adoption, right? But um, it, this idea that we're starting to think about, I, I want, I want to do well by the environment. I want, you know, the social consciousness, and and so you have to start looking at. What are companies saying? What are they investing in? What you know? What um, um, what are they passing in resolutions with their boards? Um, What are their stances? I mean, the summer of reckoning when George Floyd um, was murdered, that kind of ratcheted things up and everybody cared and everybody, every company needed to demonstrate that they were doing things that were caring about people and inclusivity and diversity and equity. So, you know, that's when, you know, you really start seeing this take off. And if it's your money, then you have a right to have a say in how it's being invested and and what that money is going toward. And I think that's just part of being a good steward and doing good business now.
2: I think think currently too, we're seeing a lot of that with the wave of... of labor gaining strength again where workers are really like you know starbucks and amazon i think people are now looking at companies and saying like how are they treating people who work for them right absolutely Um, and i think that's become a big part of it too and i think i credit i think some of what happened in 2020 and then even earlier with that of just looking at actual action right where i think before people would say like there would be a commercial where jeep would say oh we're doing this or whatever right And now I think people are looking for more than just that type of those, you know, like an ad or whatever. Um, It's true.
1: And and in fact, you know, to, to your point, I mean, you know, people talk about ESGs, environmental, social, governance based investments. Right. And and it's almost become this buzzword that people are bandying about. And you know it's like oh we we're into ESG. It's like no no you need to look under the hood and peel back and see what what is real because it's too easy to to just be the latest buzzword um, and and not really be doing anything right and to say that you're doing this
2: is or this yeah. Well, yeah you can keep hiring as many like you know DEI officers as you want but if they're you know if they're being treated poorly or they're unsuccessful what is the company doing
1: that's not moving that forward right oh my gosh and that's (laughs) one of the best examples right now because everybody and their mother's company has a you know a a DEI officer but just because you hired a person doesn't mean that that one person is going to change your culture and be all things DEI right and it shouldn't be on one person to do that too I think
2: it's For listeners, if you are not aware, DEI is diversity, equity and inclusion, um, which is which then, you know, people probably have heard that.
1: (laughs) But it's true. And it's and it's got it's it's also expanded to belonging and social justice. And it's all got to be there. And it can't be just talking points. You have to be able to demonstrate what is it that you are doing and how will I know that something is different because you say you are doing these in, in, you know, you're involved in this.
0: And Worcester's DEI officer recently resigned. Um, She was feeling like she hadn't been empowered in a way that would allow her to make lasting change. And that same week I somewhat stupidly wrote an article that was like, You know, now is a time where people are really open to change. We've just gone through this trauma together and it's time like we start showing up, you know, we have all of these old male white organizations in Worcester saying, pull up a seat at the table. And I was like, let's call them on it. And then I got some pushback, like, Sarah, it's not that easy. You know, like maybe as a white woman, you can just show up and sit down and make yourself at home. But as a differently abled person or as a minority woman, it might not be that simple. And I took that to heart. And then I went to your conference and I heard you say your advice was you can do anything to these students and your fellow panelist Damon Cox, he was awesome. He was like, a pioneer at universal music, um, and now he's really big in the fintech world, but he did the same thing. He said, if you're not sitting at the table, you're on the menu. And um, I'm trying to wrap my mind around, like, what is the advice? How do I encourage people to become civically engaged and engaged in a number of opportunities and existing structures, existing resources without putting my foot in my mouth? (laughs)
1: Well, you know what, first, I don't think you put your foot in your mouth. Don't and and don't back up. Don't, you know, don't sometimes things are said to us to encourage us to be quiet or go slow. And, um, and, and why, you know, every now and then you need to turn over some tables. Right. (laughs) And, and sometimes you'd have to turn over tables to make more space. Right. It's, it's Um, But I recognize that as we are able to bring more people into these conversations, we're making room for more people and it becomes normative, right? I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how tired I've become of being acknowledged as the first one or the second one. I mean, I'd like it not to be, you know, I'd like it to be normative that I'm this African-American woman who is leading, you know, you name it. Um, But as we make space for others, then others bring more to the table. This is the other thing that happened to women in general, we're we were socialized to believe that there was only room for one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if if I bring you along, then um, maybe they might like you better than me. And now my p- position is at risk. Men never th- worry about that. It never is a concern. And, and I, I watched this phenomenon years ago in a meeting, like I I saw a a male colleague come into a meeting late and there was no room at the table, but he pulled up a chair and he elbowed his way in and scooched up unapologetically. And then a female colleague came in and she sat on the wall because there was no room. And I'm like, no, 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 move over. Move over. And we brought her in, too. And I think that we have to do more of that Um, and remember how it felt when we were the only ones at the table and make space. I mean, what do you do at Thanksgiving? You put another leaf in the table. Right. Yeah. You keep so it. Get some it. more leaves and we can make the table bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't don't back up. I was impressed too. Uh, I think it was the CFO
0: of Putnam Investments was there and he said they've doubled the amount of women who are in this socially conscious investing Mm -hmm. arm of the company. And I was like,
1: what in the last three years? And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, that's, that's outstanding. And that's what we want to keep doing. Right. That's the real stuff.
2: I think it is interesting though, because I think that there is a point there, there's like up to a point it's like yes keep making space and expanding but um our friend Danny Babineau had a good point too where she said in some cases like or not she didn't say this I'm you know paraphrasing some ideas that she had but her kind of thought was you know we don't always want to be a part of certain tables we don't always want to be at certain tables maybe that's a table that has historically been you know difficult for marginalized people to access and so maybe we create our own, right? Yeah. Maybe we set up our own on the side. And I think that both of those things can be true.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You can say like, yeah, let's make room for each other and let's keep expanding this thing over here. But like, maybe we do have to change something or revolutionize something, right? Maybe we do have to make our own states that we can then invite. And so it's like,
0: and it's a lot of work. How do we
2: walk the line? Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. But it's like, how can <laughs> to start from to walk the line and try to do it both ways maybe, yeah. right? Like, Use these existing structures and systems as much as you can right because like for some people it's it is really difficult to access those but can we also be para- like
1: paralleling right right and so mm-hmm. both and works yeah right um you I know you i mean that's historically right mm-hmm. think about um you know, women's organizations, for example, in the you know 18th, 19th century, um, were kind of the the parallel um, analogies to what men were doing, and then when African American women post um, enslavement and and Reconstruction. They couldn't belong to those. They weren't allowed. They weren't invited to those tables. So they created their own, and 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 the, and and the um, the as a National Association of Colored Women. Um, I know I don't have that exactly right, and someone will say something to me mm-hmm. rightly so about that. But um, this idea of lifting as we climb, you mm-hmm. know, that that as we are making strides, bring others along with us, mm-hmm. right? But then the other piece of that, so so there's absolute um, history and value in those kind of parallel structures. But there's also value in this idea of creating something new because from my standpoint, where you know, and this is uh, standpoint theory, this idea that where I stand, where I sit, um, I have a different perspective than someone else. So I might have an idea that will be an innovation on something that you might've come up with because it wouldn't have occurred to you because you don't have my standpoint. You you aren't, um, you're a gendered min- minority, but, but maybe not a racial minority, maybe not a class minority, maybe not um, minoritized by ablement. Um, Those different standpoints cause you to see the world differently. So take that difference and innovate and solve a problem that otherwise isn't being addressed. It is a different kind of elegant solution. Right. And the only way to continue to innovate is to be open to those things,
2: to be open to when someone of a different community says, hey, like, maybe we thought about that the wrong way. Maybe we should see it this way, because, you know, white women, historically excluding particularly black women from like suffrage movements, didn't make any movement stronger. (laughs) That's right. Like, there's no way that
1: we can all be liberated without all of us being liberated.
2: <laughs> I that's guess, exactly
1: you know? right, and and so, and we have to be, you know, all in this together. This idea that you know, I, my success is very much connected to your success and, and the success of others.
2: And I think so some people, lift. yeah, and I think some people are just afraid to be wrong. And I think it's important to say, um, and like Sarah, like I admire, like you, you know, you had this article and like other thoughts and obviously there was some editorial input into sarah's article but like it's also the idea that you said wow i'm really open to hearing all this stuff and like i can understand where you're coming from and so then like how do we move forward together now let's, let's move on from it like how do we just you know
0: and so yeah i it felt like kismet that i walked into that <laughs> boot camp just because like i said finance to me is this thing that through the media, It embodies greed, right? And then to listen to you all talk about the future, it really opened my eyes that in any venue, there's an opportunity to think about social justice and think about the environment. And one innovation in particular that we saw this weekend, Molly went to her first Blue Sox game at Polar Park. Oh. And um, I went into the store that's automated. You walk in, I grabbed a polar seltzer and I walked out and it charges me. it was amazing, yeah, and
1: I saw so, that. So you know, so you know, those are my students that I, developed that.
0: that. That's, that's awesome. I knew it's WPI so was involved, cool. but I am curious: what does the future look like based on the work your kids are doing? What are some things that we'll be in shock and awe of in the next ten years?
1: Wow, that's a great question. Well, I mean, that idea that you know already—that seems pretty advanced. That you could walk into some venue and, and pick up a product and walk out and it's already, um, you know, it's already captured it for you. Uh, but being able to have those kinds of experiences that, um, you know, our, our homes are becoming smart homes and smart spaces. Um, these ideas that are already happening where your refrigerator knows that you're out of eggs and can place the order and and the delivery comes and you're charged um and and you never left your house you know but these are things but the the crazy thing is it's it's stuff that we're already seeing right now i mean i mean the the thought that you can walk around any store you know home depot walmart and if you forget to turn off your your phone um it's already pinging to pick up the MAC address and the IP address of your phone so that if you buy things, now that gets associated with your profile that's already being stored in the cloud so that now you can start to get um, pinged uh, via media on what you might wanna buy. And oh, I know you were in Walmart last week and you bought X, Y, and Z. Are you out of those things now? It's not guesswork anymore. They know that you're out because they know your consumption habits. It's frightening on yeah. one hand, well, but it's really what's happening with, um, you know, I mean, I, I remember one Sunday morning when, when I got in the car and my, my phone told me how long it would take to get to my church because it knew that on yeah. Sunday morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. navigation guidance. And you're like, right. that, that, that's where I go. You know, and I'm time. like, yike. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, but it's, the future is here and it's happening. And that's why I think it all comes back down to FinTech. Because now, now these automated decisions are driving Your business decisions are driving financial decisions. And so how do I tie all of that together to make sure that I'm keeping a consumer engaged with what I have to offer? So that's where we're going. That's where we are.
0: We only have a couple minutes left on the clock. Is there anything else that you haven't had a chance
1: to share yet that you want Worcester to know? I want Worcester to know, particularly as a, you know, emerging minority majority city that this is not about you know financial fat cats getting richer on the backs of someone else and taking advantage of someone else we want to make the this innovation available to everyone and available that everyone can be a part of you know i'm i'm joining the, the board at Accentria and i was talking to their um, ceo and she talked about doing good and doing well and so you know I, I i can't take advantage of that or take take credit for that it's both and. and too often you know people at the top have done well and people at the bottom are supposed to You know, give back and do good. Well, everybody should be able to do both. And so we're very excited about working with the city of Worcester to make a difference in Worcester. We were talking about, for example, um, innovations that would allow us to put sensors on city vehicles to know as you're driving through neighborhoods whether trash wasn't being collected regularly, or whether there were potholes or other services not taken advantage of, and then filtering that back so that that could be made, you know public works could could know about that. These are the kind of innovations that make a difference in everybody's life. And that's what we wanna be able to do at WPI and for our community. Well,
0: we'll continue to watch the good work that you're doing. Absolutely. Um, And thank you so much for taking
1: the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you for having me. I really (laughs) appreciate it so much.
2: Well, I have been Sarah. I have
1: been Molly. And this is (laughs) Puppet.